So as I think about getting started today and what I'm going to be talking about, I want to begin with something that you can only really do during the holidays. And so with Christmas being just a couple days ago, I thought this was appropriate. There's a gentleman named Sir Ken Robinson. He lives in England. He's a world-renowned expert on education. And he tells the story of his son, his four-year-old son, who was cast as Joseph in a local nativity play. And all the characters and all the, the cast was made up of four-year-olds. And so, you know, Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, the wise men. And they practiced a bunch. And the wise men were supposed to come in one at a time and do, we're bringing you gold and frankincense and myrrh. Well, they happened to go out of order, but they thought no big deal. And so the first child went up, the four-year-old, with, and put down a box and said, I give you gold. And then the second king came in and said, this is myrrh. Then the third king came in and put his box down and said, Frank sent this. <laughs> so, so a typical Frank, you know, it's a busy time at the, in his kingdom. He couldn't make the journey, so he sent this. But uh, yeah, I didn't say frankincense if you didn't hear me. So, but, and we chuckled because, you know, a kid misunderstood what frankincense was and thought he heard Frank sent this. And I think about our, our passage today of how we often take a very cool verse out of the Bible. In fact, many of you know it, some of you haven't memorized. It's, it's a verse that is often put on graduation cards. It's written in yearbooks. It's on inspirational posters. In fact, when I went to, to do the research on the sermon, I happened to look at my Bible, and sure enough, I had it underlined. Now, I don't have when and where I did it, but it was underlined, so I thought, this is an awesome verse. But the problem with it, or sometimes the way we use this verse is much like how this child kind of misunderstood the idea of frankincense and and mispronounced it. We sometimes will take this verse and just kind of pluck it out of context and then kind of throw it out there and just use it kind of in a vacuum. When when you put it back in its proper context and in its perspective, when it was first issued, when it was first said to the people of Israel, it'll actually help us understand God in a more deeper, richer, fuller sense and the love that he has for his people. So Let's go ahead and look at Jeremiah 29, 11. You may have actually had it memorized. Who knows? But it's basically this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so gracious and good to us. You sent your son um, that we celebrate this, uh, this week and to come and die for our sins. You have the whole world Um, under your authority. You're sovereign over all things. We pray that you would, over these next few minutes, help us just to listen to what you want to say through me, that I would actually step out of the way. It would be clearly your word that is um, lifted up and highlighted, and that we would walk away today, Lord, not just having learned something interesting or thought about something, but actually become doers of the word to advance your kingdom, both here in Kirkwood and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the, I named the sermon the Back to the Future, which I'm a big movie guy, so of course, you, many remember Marty McFly had to get back to the future from which he came when he was sent back to the 1950s. I want to take this verse and kind of send it back to the future that God was talking about, again, in the context in which it was said. Now, before we read Jeremiah 11, or, or sorry, <laughs> Jeremiah 29 in its full sense, a quick little backstory. Now, some of you woke up this morning saying, I know all about Jeremiah, you don't need to cover this. But for those of you who didn't, okay, uh, a quick little recap. So Jeremiah was a prophet of God back in 600 BC, 500 BC. And of course, they counted backwards back then. It was kind of weird. And so 
Um, there are many false prophets out there saying stuff that people wanted to hear, but they really weren't speaking what God wanted them to hear. But Jeremiah was up there, and he would deliver tough news. He would deliver judgments coming forward. He'd deliver kind of some harsh, edgier kind of stuff. But it's all what God wanted people to hear, but they wouldn't listen, and they disobeyed. And what ended up happening was the Babylonians came and said, hey, Israel, we're going to take a bunch of you folks back to our place. And so they were actually force-marched 800 miles from Jerusalem all the way around and down to Babylon. Now, that was not a fun journey. This wasn't like cruising through the, the lush tropical area of, let's say, San Diego or something. This, this was tough, tough conditions. They're now down in this foreign land. They're, they're bummed out. They're disoriented. They're frustrated. Uh, it's their own doing, but, but they're, they're not seeing it yet. They're, 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 this, is, this is ridiculous. Now think about your mind and your, your, your thoughts of, okay, what would you have wanted to be in this letter that, that Jeremiah writes on behalf of God? God said, write this letter down and send it to him. Think about what you'd want to hear. What would you want to have those words be? Now, you, I'd want to hear some pretty swift justice. I'd want to hear this be over in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's all going to be good. Uh, we're going to discover a gold mine. I don't know, whatever. I want the Babylonian king to be struck down and his courtesans to be uh, awful diseases. Like, you know, I'd want it pretty fast and furious. Unfortunately, it's not what happens. So let's look at uh, what, what the rest of the verse, verses say here. So again, this is a letter that Jeremiah wrote. He's still back in Jerusalem. Sent down to be read to the captives, Israelites, in a foreign city. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage. So they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. It's a tough one. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Now, this is what tees up verse 11. We just read a few minutes ago. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to his place, to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you future, a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. Now, I would not be thrilled to hear that. I mean, you're you're sitting there and you say, 70 years? I'm sorry, I I thought I heard you say 70. You know, is that that seven decades, right? Okay, seven, zero, that that can't be cool. And that had to have been tough. Imagine with people then going back to their their families and saying, well, what was the letter saying? Well, better hunker down, kids. We're going to be here for a while. And, it's, this is, and that would be kind of disheartening, but that was what the Lord had said. And so as I think about our, our looking at this verse, I'm actually reminded of, of our new logo here at, uh, at Green Tree, which you, we all know, dig in, branch out, and live it up. And real quickly, the, the recap of that is dig in, is dig into God's word, dig into your relationship with Christ, and dig into fellowship with others then based on that, you want to branch out and share that good news with neighbors and coworkers and people you meet. And then the live it up is my favorite part, which is 
we as Christians among all people on the entire planet should be those living it up the most. Now, not in a Vegas kind of crazy weekend style, just to, to be clear, but live it up in that our past is forgiven, our sins are wiped away, our future is secure in heaven, so we're now freed up in the presence to live, the present to live to the full and, and just be fully in the moment and enjoy what God has provided for us, even when we're going through difficult times. So I thought about that, those three points as a way to maybe look at this, this passage together. Now, I have 22 observations I want to make. Okay, okay. If you guys didn't laugh, I was going to do them all. Okay, so uh, I'm just telling you right now, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do 19. I only have three, but I could crack out, crank out 19. All right, so, so dig in, branch out, live it up. So the digging in is this. Let's, let's look back at verse 5 real quickly. So, Verse 5, build houses and settle down, plant gardens. And then it goes on to say, marry and have your sons and daughters marry, that sort of thing. The first thing God's doing right here is basically resetting their clock, their, their perspective. This is not going to be over next weekend. You're not going to be home by summer. This is going to be a permanent thing. We're not talking tents and lean-tos. We're talking permanent structures. So start building, you know, start, start hunkering down. And it made me think how often for us, even the Christian life, we, we're so tempted to want to Look past the, the right now to the next thing. Okay, when, when I'm done with this project, things will get better. Okay, after the first year, things will smooth out. Okay, when I graduate, it'll be better. Okay, when we get married, this will be fantastic. Okay, we have kids. When the kids are gone, right? So uh, we, we keep looking past the next thing and completely overlook the, the work in front of us that God has. Now, we'll talk in a few minutes of why they're there and the judgment component of that and the disobedience that led there. But basically, the first thing God's saying is, hey, settle down build houses, erect a community, it's, it's going to be here for the long term. I think about a, a, a couple I met a few years ago at a party, and a lovely, wonderful Christian couple, and we're having a conversation. While they're not from St. Louis, they had not been here just yesterday, they'd been here for a while, and I was talking to the husband and wife, and she happened to mention just kind of trippingly off the tongue, we don't really have very many friends. I thought, that's kind of a bummer. I'm not, I even said, I, I'm sorry to hear that. What's, what, why not? You seem like otherwise lovely people. You're not on the lam or anything, are you? Like, yeah, I didn't know. Uh, are you hiding? Or, yeah, I, I didn't know what that was all about. <laughs> she, of course, half chuckled and then said, um, said, no, actually, we came here for my husband. He was getting a graduate degree. And we thought it'd just be a couple years and then we'll, we'll move back home and we'll have kids and kind of lay down roots and all that kind of thing. And so we decided, let's not invest in people here. Let's not uh, develop too many friendships because they're going to be ripped apart in just a matter of a year or two. I said, oh gosh, when did you guys move here? She said, seven years ago. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, that, that, that's a heartbreaker. Because they're, they're sitting there thinking, okay, this captivity thing. Now granted, coming to St. Louis isn't captivity. I want to be clear on that. <laughs> Hawaii's awesome, but St. Louis is cool too, right? So... But, but for them, they came here and they had this attitude of just, this is, this is a temporary thing. It's not really worthwhile, you know, putting down roots. And I thought, how often we, we end up doing that uh, wittingly and sometimes unwittingly. So, um, you know, some, just something to think about. So as you look back at, at dig in here, the other thing that, that we should maybe consider is, is this question, how are we investing in God's kingdom right where we are? Now, certainly... There's investing in people. There's investing in relationships. There's investing in work. There's investing in your, in your neighborhood, all that kind of stuff. But think about the, the Israel, the physical component. The Israelites had to invest in building their physical houses. 
you know, my understanding, there was not a good subsidy from the Babylonian housing authority, right? They, they, had to, they had to put up their own money, build their own materials, much like we did. I mean, for 17 years, right? 17 years, correct? We were pretty nomadic as a church. We, we'd meet in middle school. We'd meet anywhere. Middle schools, high schools, magic house, parks. We, uh, you, you, if you had a place, we'd go meet there. We just didn't have our own house. But then the cool part is we were able to, with God's direction, we were able to raise enough money to build this church and actually construct it, put that down payment down. And now in that next phase, we need to invest in, in, in paying down our mortgage. And that requires physical labor, but also financial labor as well. So as, as the question comes up, how are you investing in every way, shape, and form in the here and now where God has planted you, where God has you? Okay, point number one. 21 to go. No. So, uh, <laughs> he's really funny. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, just make sure you're paying attention. All right, so, which brings us then to our next one, which is branch out. Now, uh, on the branch out, let's look at verse 7. Now, this had to be, if, of all things, one of the most freak out verses in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament. So, look at verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, the city. Because if the city, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, that is a one where, again, if I were listening, I'd say, all right, okay, when you're done, can you just bring the letter? That's got to be a typo. I want to look this thing up. You know, show me the letter. I got to see it. There's, there's something that's crazy. You read that wrong. We're in this heathen, gross you know, city that's foreign to us, and we now have to work to make it better. We have, we have to help its prosperity. That, these are people dragged us away from our homes. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And yet God's saying, no, this is what I want you to do, a completely foreign, dare I say, a novel concept back in ancient times. From the research I did, there's, there's barely another examples I, I can find where someone else was brought into captivity and they actively worked towards the betterment of the place where they were, they were called to go or they were dragged into. And so then, you know, it made me think of the word that's used, the Hebrew word for peace is actually shalom. Now, we all know shalom as, as a traditional Jewish greeting, right? It's, it's shalom, it's hello, shalom, goodbye, shalom, I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing things well with you. And that's actually a very cool thing. Hello and goodbye is lovely, but shalom has a, a deeper, richer quality to it. But shalom, like, like many words uh, in Hebrew and beyond, has not just the meaning of peace, but there's a bunch of layers to it. There's a bunch of other meanings that shalom has. So think about this in terms of when they heard, seek the shalom of the city, Think of the other words in their minds that, that this could, could bring up. So according to Strong's Concordance, I had to write them down because there's a lot of them. Strong's Concordance said that shalom can also mean completeness, wholeness, health, safety, welfare, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, and here's the kicker, the absence of agitation or discord. Oh, yeah, hello. <laughs> so again, so the attitude being we're dragged here against our will. And, you know, even though we brought this on ourselves, we don't recognize that yet as much. But God's saying, hey, I want you to work for the health and the prosperity and the, the safety and the goodness of this city. As that happens, you too will be blessed in that, in that effort. So naturally, you can't help but think of, okay, you might work for a really tough boss. You might have a really mean teacher. You might have a, a really rough coach or whatever, but, but if that's the person under which you, God has put you under their authority to still be working and not sewing up or what's, you know, agitating and, and discord, but actually all those other wonderful things, the peace, the prosperity, the, uh, the wholeness. I, I love that completeness, welfare, soundness. 
And, and ha- in fact, and it's not just there, but think about Matthew 5. You know, Jesus very clearly says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? You know, that's, you know, that's in there. That, that's tough to do, right? And I, I'm reminded of, I recently heard of a, of a teenage girl that was kind of interesting. She, I heard that she, in her, when she texts friends and stuff and she does Snapchat and all that kind of things, she doesn't happen to use profanity. She doesn't drop F-bombs and all that kind of stuff. She, she just kind of writes and communicates, but doesn't, you know, have her text laden with all the stuff that all her friends are doing. To the point where one of her friends actually said, hey, I noticed you don't, you don't write all that other stuff that we do. I mean, that's, that's a way of working towards a shalom. I mean, she could have written it down, but, but as a Christian witness, she felt, I can't honor God with words like that and, and still, you know, be true to, to my calling. So even little things like the absence of, of, of bad language in a teenager can even be an example of working towards shalom, even though her friend group is lovely, from what I understand. But another example, you might say, well, what if I'm in a place where I can't really do much shaloming? I can't, uh, you know, I have very little influence. I, what am I? And so I think, okay, glad you brought that up. Good point. But let me, let me counter that with this example. Um, I, I heard not too long ago of a gentleman who got a job as a parking garage attendant at a big hospital complex. Now, this wasn't in St. Louis, but imagine BJC, which if you've been down there lately, it's like there's 50 buildings and 30 parking garages, and you almost have to have a, one of those almost maps from, from Disneyland if you are here, you know, just to figure it all out. It's crazy. But he got a job as a, as a parking garage attendant, just the guy who takes your ticket and, and gives you back, opens up the gate. He just kind of sit there every day and just, thank you, here's your money. But he thought, well, what can I do to maybe work to make even the experience of being in a parking garage better. I don't know if this was his career goal or not. It doesn't matter, but I'm saying where, where he was put at that moment, he said, here's what I'm going to do. He got a bu- he bought little bags of candy. And when, when they come up, and a lot of the people who came through were, were kids who were going back to repeat visits and difficult health situations. And so very trying times for families. He'd give them a piece of candy and he'd also get to know their names, ask them how they're doing. And then interestingly, his parking garage, which was one of the furthest away from the actual buildings, would fill up first before the others, simply because this guy cared about the people. This isn't just another car. This is a family working through a crisis. Let me give you a piece of candy. How you doing, Johnny? What's up, Susie? How you doing? And, and they, in fact, in some ways, <laughs> it doesn't say this, but I can imagine there might have been like a line of cars <laughs> waiting to get out because he's having these conversations with people. But the idea is no matter where you are, no matter how big your influence may or may not be, you can be working towards that shalom. And just for fun, okay, kids here, let's say you're 12 years old or younger. Just raise your hand if you don't mind. Okay, okay, you can do it 12 years old or younger. If you check your driver's license, that'll tell you how old you are. Okay, cool. All right, and hands down, thank you. Very literal crowd. Okay. Uh, I forgot to say it once and they left them up the whole time. So, but even you, you say, this isn't just for moms and dads. You can be walking down the hallway at your school and you see a piece of trash. You can pick that up and throw it away. Or if there's a bunch of kids in your class kind of giving the teacher trouble or, or disrupting, you can be the ones, hey, you know, let's, let's try to pay attention, or at least not join in. You know, you can, even when your teacher might be being unfair, you can still do your best to, to do the work in front of you and work to the shalom of your classroom, of your sports team, of your dance center. I mean, it's not just, again, for moms or dads or at work. There's any time you have a chance to do that. So how are you seeking right now the shalom of your present or current situation? Question number two. All right, brings us to number three, which is the live it up. Now, I don't know, I, by the way, the lawyers in the audience, that is a royalty-free image. Okay, I just want to let you know. I'm not sure. 
Uh, I did pay for it. Um, and I don't know what's actually going on, but I, it looks like a great time. If it's a concert or a political rally or something, but people are holding up their phones. I mean, that is just, okay, things are pretty awesome. So uh, living up is, is a great way to go. So um, as I think about our living it up here, let me make sure I get on the right page. Okay, very nice. And so let's go back to, to verse 11, if we could. And so let me just kind of do the, the pre, so we got verse 11. I know the plans I have for you. Things are going to be great, but let's do the quick context again. When 70 years are over, seven zero, seven decades are over, then when they're completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back from this place. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and a hope in a future. Fantastic stuff. Now, the next verses, which we won't go into, but start to go deeper and say, when you call on me, when you seek me, when you basically come back to me, essentially saying, hey, when you guys repent, when you kind of figure out that you've messed up and you come back to me, I'm here. I'm ready to, you know, take care of you. But I have to wonder what some of these folks, you know, three different times in this passage, God says, I'm the one who carried you from Israel into captivity. I carried you into exile. That's almost one of those kind of bugs, bunny, what? You, you carried me into exile? Yes, God actually carried them into exile, but it was because of their own disobedience. They were the ones who, were, who, who basically weren't heeding God's word. They were not living according to his standards. They were not following what he asked. They were ignoring Jeremiah, etc. Which made me think, how often do we, when something goes wrong, something goes south, which is a really mean statement for people who live in the south, by the way. Um, if you think about it. It's like, the south is lovely, but uh, those northerners, right? So... Um, but, and again, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about if a physical malady is, is put upon you, a sickness or some kind of disease. That, that's not your own doing. But I'm saying a relationship that's been poisoned, uh, a toxic work environment, or something else is bad going on wherever you find yourself, a, a really difficult relationship with a neighbor, whatever it might be. Our natural tendency is to not say, hey, first question, what did I do to cause that? Did I, did I have any hand in this? Am I in any way responsible? And it goes back to, let's even go back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve. We all know the story, right? So God says, you can do anything you want. Here's the garden. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It's lush. It's See that one tree over there? No touchy. No touch of the tree. You know, you cannot have that. Of course, what do they do in no time at all? They're, they're both eating the apple. And then when God confronts them, you know, what does Adam do when he's asked, hey, what, what's going on, Adam? To say, I'm sorry, Lord, I messed up. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to step up and be a man here. I, I sinned. It was my own doing, my own fault. Did he do that? No. He said, do you remember that lady friend you gave me? You know, that, uh, that remember Eve? You know, yeah, that, yeah, that one. Remember her? Um, she's standing right there, by the way. Uh, well, remember her? Well, she gave me this apple and said, here, have an apple. You know, so really, if you're looking for blame, it's, uh, you know, I'd go over there. And of course, then, you know, ladies, now you're thinking typical male, right? You know, blaming the lady. No, but you guys were just as in the wrong where when God said, hey, Eve, what about you? What, you what's the deal with the apple? He said, well, you remember that kind of creepy talking snake that, you know, not the one from Harry Potter, the, um, the, uh, the, the serpent one? Yeah, well, he told me we could have it and we'd be like you and it'd be great. Well, I mean, from the very beginning, we're always about, instead of looking to our own sinfulness, our own fallen condition, we're so quick to look to the other, someone else. I'm sure this never happened to you, but I can tell you with, with full honest, humility, I'm not sure, shame. 
Have you ever left for an appointment that you know takes a half hour to get to? Like it's fully a half hour away. It could be a doctor's appointment, a coffee with a friend, it could be dinner. You know it takes a half hour to get there, but you leave only 15 minutes early. And if you're like me, I think I can still make it. There's there's still a problem. I I can do it somehow. I'll go through the time-space continuum or there'll be a wormhole. I mean, somehow I will will get there on time. But sure enough, what do we do when we get into traffic? Stinking traffic. You know, you get mad. Oh, construction, red light. I remember one time I was mad because there was an ambulance. Oh, ambulance taking injured people to the hospital. You know. The nerve of you. I'm late for a dinner appointment. So, but not once do we sit there and say, uh, I left late. This is on me. I tried to do too many things before I left, or I didn't manage my time well. This is all on me. No, our tendency is to say, all right, everybody else. And so, so one of the things that God is doing here and saying, okay, I have your back. I, I'm with you, but it's going to be 70 years, and I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to bring you back to the place that I called you. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. I, I'm good to my word, but you need to first call on me and seek me, and repent, and turn from your ways, and, and make it right. And I think so often we're, that's, that's not a fun thing for us to have to do, because it's so much easier to make it somebody else's fault. You know, we lost the game, why? It's the refs. Well, no, your quarterback threw three interceptions. It's like, you know, you know that has probably something to do with it. But if we have the wherewithal, with the humility that, that God can provide, you know, even Psalm 39, 139, Search me. Is there an offensive way or an evil way within me? Is there something that I'm doing? Please, please make it known. And so for the Christian, certainly, we need to be asking ourselves to what degree are we causing the, the difficult situation? Or are we somehow party to it? Or by our, by our silent bystanderness, not doing something to help reconcile people or to stick up for a people group or a minority? What are we not doing that, that we should be to help work for that shalom? And then certainly beyond that, as you, as you look at the application question here, how is God using your current circumstance to make you more Christ-like? If many of you here, well, many people come to church all the time, but maybe you, this is your first time ever, or you've come to church but never thought about your personal situation and how by your own sinfulness, you've been separated from God. But he's saying right there, if you'll repent, if you'll call on me and accept Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross, the greatest trade ever. I, I remember talking to our fourth grade students a couple weeks ago. The greatest trade ever. You might think there's some great trades in sports, some great trades of kids, trade stuff or whatever. The greatest trade ever is we get to trade in our sinful, awful, disgusting, bad thoughts, deeds, everything we've done, the, the horrible stuff. And yet over here, Jesus lives this perfect, flawless, immaculate, amazing life. He takes our punishment for us. And then we get to heap all our bad stuff on him. And then he gives us credit for all the good stuff he did. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable trade. And you think, okay, why, why would someone do that? Well, God loves us. That, that's, he loves us people and want that to happen. So you think about today, think about the situation. The Babylonians carried away. This is a letter written to them, you know, thousands of years ago for a specific situation. But God does have a plan for us. He has a hope. He has a future. It is there for us. But he wants us to to dig in. He wants us to branch out. He wants us to work for the shalom of whatever situation and then to ask in every situation, okay, how can I let this situation, God, how can you use this situation to work on my heart to make me more like Jesus, to craft me more in your image, to expand your kingdom? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are, again, so gracious to us 
and you are beyond our understanding. Your ways are above our ways. Uh, the things we want to have happen don't always happen. Um, but you all along, just like the Israelites, you know what you have in plan. You know the sovereignty that, uh, that, that exists and that you're in control of all things. I pray, Father, that we would think about the, the words you uh, said through your Bible, through Jeremiah, to us in this day, 2015, here in Kirkwood. And wherever we end up traveling back to or whatever we end up doing this week and beyond, Lord, you would help us think about how we can invest and dig into your word, into each other, to plant gardens, to build houses, to invest in people, to invest in our, in our church, to branch out, to work for the Shalom, Lord, and then most of all, to live it up, knowing that you fully love us, have redeemed us, and care for us more than we can ever imagine. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.